so last week, I believe that we reached the high water mark in uh, this series in that we spoke about uh, the power of sin being broken over the life of a believer. Sin no longer has dominion over you. We, we looked at uh, Romans uh, 9, uh, I'm sorry, Romans 6, 19, uh, which said uh, that uh, we are no longer under the law, but we are under grace. And under the fountain of God's grace, we, we now live by the grace of God. And, and it was uh, purchased for us by the enormous price of Jesus Christ at the cross. And so we are uh, certainly forever grateful for this freedom that is in Christ. Paul said, don't you know that you are not your own, that you've been bought with a price, with the precious blood of Christ? And so uh, this morning we want to continue in this idea of uh, the freedom that we have in Christ. We used to sing this song some years ago. <clears throat> my wife said I should sing it. I don't think I got a little bit of a frog in my throat. But it, it went like this. I don't know, maybe you know it. If you, if you know it, just kind of wave at me. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith. I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. Don't like the word happy. I like the word joyful but there is joy in freedom because there's joy in Christ. And while it's a simple song, you know, it's a, it's a powerful thought that, that we've been set free. And that freedom ought to equal joy in the life of a believer. One of the things that I want to talk to you about this morning, one of the greatest uh, freedoms that we have in Christ is freedom from legalism as a means of winning approval with God or, or, or achieving uh, acceptance with God. We've been set free from legalism. Why anybody would, after having been set free, want to go back into a relationship with God based upon rules and regulations. See, God has, he has set us free from a mindless set of rules and regulations so that we might be lifted up and elevated to a relationship as the children of God. And uh, why anybody would want to leave that uh, is really the issue, the reason why the entire letter to the Galatians was written. So we're going to be looking at a number of verses through the book of Galatians this morning in a few minutes. But first I want to share with you, I was, had this haunted feeling coming from a photograph that I observed from the uh, Holocaust Museum in Germany. And uh, there's a lot of uh, just haunting photographs, but the one that I'm, I'm particularly talking about was, uh, was a picture of the gateway of uh, the notorious uh, Auschwitz, the death camp. And it was, it was over the entryway, and, and, and in German was written this phrase, work equals life. Work equals life. It was a promise to the Jewish captives that if they would only work hard and strive while they're in captivity, they will ultimately win their own freedom. And of course, that was a lie. It was a deception. It, it, was, it ended in a uh, horrible suffering and in death. And so the Nazis were able to convince them through that deception that work makes one free. One of the reasons why I think that is so disturbing to me as a pastor is because I believe that that is the lie of the century. That is the lie of this present age, 
It's a devilish deception with no hope for, for multiple millions and millions of people who are putting their hope that, that someday they will be good enough to stand in the presence of God and be accepted on the basis of their good works, on the basis of their performance, that work makes one free, and that is just simply a lie. What is it about the human heart, about the human nature, about man, that he, he strives for rules and regulations and, 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 and loves being under law? Uh, I, I came across some old laws that are still on the books, in uh, various places throughout the country, and they're especially related to religious people. Okay, so listen up. Young girls are never allowed to walk a tightrope in Wheeler, Mississippi, unless it's in church. Now, that is bizarre, all right? I just want to just throw that, just, it's bizarre. In Blackwater, Kentucky, I love this one, tickling a woman under her chin with a feather duster while she's in church service, carries the penalty of $10 and a day in jail. Gentlemen, please refrain from using feather busters, feather dusters. <laughs> okay. Uh, no one is permitted to eat unshelled peanuts, roasted peanuts, while attending church in Idaho, Oregon. Now, I was a little suspicious, so I looked up Idaho, Oregon, on a Google map, and I found out that in 2010, it really exists, in 2010, that the census of this particular town is 147 people, and you're not allowed to eat peanuts. I guess shelled peanuts. Maybe, maybe if you eat them with the shell, it's okay. I don't know. No citizen in Leak Creek, I'm sorry, Lee Creek, Arkansas, is allowed to attend church in a red-colored garment. That's why I wore my... Because I am not in Lee Creek, Arkansas. Swinging a yo-yo in church anywhere or in public on the Sabbath is prohibited in Studley, Virginia. Apparently, you're not very studly if you play with a yo-yo, all right? And here's, here's the last one. Turtle races are not permitted within 100 yards of a local church in Slaughter, Louisiana. I mean, they're really serious about turtle races. Now, now, all of that sounds so silly, right? But it was, it was all stuff that was seriously passed and observed by people in these different parts of the country at some particular time. They were real serious about this stuff. The following that I'm going to share with you uh, was uh, or appeared in the Joplin, Missouri Globe. Okay, you ready? Okay. An open memo to all employees. Dress down casual Fridays. Okay, this is what it's about. Member number one, effective immediately. The company is adopting Fridays as casual day so that employees may express their individuality and their diversity. Memo two, spandex and leather micro miniskirts are not appropriate attire for casual day. Neither are string ties or belt buckles that are, what do you call, uh, Rodeo belt buckles or moccasins, all right? So, guys, no moccasins, all right? Memo number three. Casual day refers to dress only, not an attitude. When planning Friday's wardrobe, remember, image is the key to our success. Okay, memo number five. 
I'm sorry, four. A seminar on how to dress for casual day will be held at 4 p.m. in the cafeteria. Attendance is mandatory. Come on, folks, this is really funny. Number number five, as an outgrowth of Friday seminar, a 14-member casual day task force has been appointed to prepare guidelines for proper dress. Number six, the casual day task force has completed a 30-page manual. A copy of Relaxing Dress Without Relaxing Company Standards has been mailed to each employee. Please review the chapter, You Are What You Wear, and consult the home casual versus business casual checklist before leaving to work on Friday. If you have any doubts about the appropriateness of an item for clothing, contact your representative by 7 a.m. Friday morning. Last memo, memo number seven. Because of a lack of participation, casual day has been discontinued effective immediately. That is what legalism does. It takes a good thing and sends out with its many membo, membos, <laughs> memos, and it makes, it makes the burden of carrying or lifting that good thing impossible. That's what legalism does. All right, one more, one more illustration to drive home my point. Okay, it was during a particularly harsh winter. And, you know, they say that we're coming up to a harsh winter. Let's pray against that, guys. Amen? All right. So, during a very difficult, where this elderly couple was having a hard time trying to keep up with all of the weather advisories, and so one morning while while they're uh, sitting at the breakfast table having a cup of coffee and they're listening to the radio, the weather announcer comes on and says, there will be today between three to five inches of snow. It is a declared emergency day, snow emergency day. All vehicles must be parked. All drivers must park their vehicles on the odd number side of the street today. So the elderly gentleman got up and he dutifully moved his car to the odd side of the street. A couple of days later, again, they're listening to the radio, sitting, having a cup of coffee. The announcer comes on and says, there will be four to six inches a day of snow. A snow emergency has been declared. Drivers must park their cars on the even number side of the street today. Once again, the elderly gentleman got up and dutifully moved his car to the even side of the street. Later in the week, there was yet another weather announcement. There will be six to nine inches of snow today, and a snow emergency has been declared. Drivers must park their cars, and before the announcer could finish, the power went out due to the storm. And the elderly gentleman said, oh, what am I going to do now? And his wife said, oh, no. And then she thought about it for a minute, and she said, well, dear, why don't you try leaving the car in the garage for today? You know, any one of us, seriously, any one of us can, 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 can honestly, mindlessly enter into a legalistic mindset without, without even realizing it and dutifully do stuff that, that doesn't really make any sense at all. That's why legalism robs us of our joy. Legalism steals from us our peace it troubles our hearts with doubts. And in the process, in the process, makes us miserable witnesses of the gospel of Christ. Throughout this series, I've been quoting from time to time Galatians 
It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You know know what a yoke was? A yoke was a device that was put upon an animal, a beast of burden, for the purpose of controlling and, and manipulating for the purpose of performing at the owner's pleasure. And so Paul says, do not put on that yoke of bondage once again. Why would anyone want to go from being free in Christ to becoming one who is now under the law, under the slavery and the mandatory principles of rules and regulations? I mean, it makes no sense at all unless you realize that it is one of Satan's most powerful devices or scams in which he has deceived people. So we want to look this morning at the freedom that Paul speaks about from the book of Galatians because it was not only an issue for the Galatians, it it was really something that threatened the entire Christian movement of the first century. That Jesus Christ has set us free in his own blood and has made us kings and priests unto our God. The enemy is out to take away from that. In the letter to the Galatians, it was written to correct this problem. And then I tell you what, this, this idea of legalism, of, of self-righteousness, of, of following rules and regulations, it didn't start in the first century. I mean, it, 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 was, birthed, it, was, it was birthed at the fall when, when the sinful nature, when the deprived nature of man was perverted. He began to believe the lie, the lie that God was all about rules and regulations instead of about being the father of of love and the father of every good and perfect gift that he is. And so they believed that lie. And as a result of that, our, our parents sowed fig leaves in an attempt to, to cover up the, the loss of their innocence. And that's really what religion is. Religion is elaborate fig leaves in an attempt to cover up the loss of innocence. So follow along with me. We'll begin in Galatians chapter 1. Looking at verse 6, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by grace, the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. It's not good news. It's bad news. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But listen, this is this is... Serious words. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. That's serious. As we have already said, so now I say again, just in case you missed it, Paul says, let me say this again. Anybody who is preaching to you a gospel other than the one that you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Strong language. Because this is serious. Over and over again in the New Testament, Paul is making the point that the gospel is the free gift of God, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, that we are saved by grace through faith and not not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. 
over and over again, this is the message that the gospel of grace is a free gift. Anyone who, 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 who tries to add to that gospel is not only, is not only taking away from the full gospel, but in, in fact is, is creating a gospel in opposition. Paul the apostle calls all those who were of the circumcision party or those that tried to bring others under the law, he, he said that they were enemies of the cross of Christ. He said they were dogs, mutilators of the flesh. Christ plus anything is not the gospel. And the Galatians, it's not that they were giving up on Jesus. They were just simply adding Jesus and their own human performance. Or I should say they were adding their performance to their belief in Jesus. So it's critical, it's critical, it's absolutely critical that we understand grace and we understand that the grace of God can easily be eroded in our lives by its arch enemy, and that arch enemy is legalism. Any attempt to improve upon what God has done for us by our own human performance is a perversion of the gospel. You know, what about sin, pastor? You know, Paul dealt with that in the book of Romans. He said, he said, should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. No, we're not free to commit adultery. We're not free to steal. We're not free to lie. Those things are obvious. And anyone, anyone who tries to promote that kind of a teaching of lasciviousness, the license to sin, is just as wrong as legalism. No, grace enables us to live godly lives. The grace of God that appears toward men teaches us to deny ungodliness. No, the grace of God is the power of God in our lives to live righteous lives, to bring forth the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus. Here's a definition of legalism. Legalism is any attempt to rely on self-effort to attain or maintain our justification before God. Legalism always has one thing in common. It denies that Christ alone is sufficient for salvation. That some additional element of self-effort, merit, or faithfulness on our part is necessary. And folks, that simply is a lie. It's not my prayer life. It's not my knowledge of Scripture. It's not my service that, that makes me uh, or makes God, I should say, a debtor to me. It's me that becomes a debtor to grace and a debtor to the Savior who gave himself for us. Galatians chapter 4. Let's look at our next portion of Scripture. Paul says, So also... When we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. He's talking about the ABCs of Judaism. Paul, as a Jewish believer, is, is speaking about the ABCs is not the end in of itself. We, we learn the ABCs so that we could now learn how to read and, and learn how to gather information. And what Paul is saying is that these ABCs that we were once underneath was not the, the science of salvation. It was only the ability to help us to see salvation. He says in that next verse, but when 
The time had fully come. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to, to rescue, to, to purchase, to buy those that were under the law, that we might receive full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then are you an heir of God through Christ. Look at the transformation that has taken place because of grace, without doing one single thing except receiving the grace of God, God has elevated us to, to sons and daughters of God. Listen, it would be awesome if we were just made friends of God or servants of God, but God has done something immensely greater than that. He has made us sons and daughters of God and heirs of God, which means that God himself is our inheritance that God himself is our exceeding great reward. Here's a simple test. Really, I want you to listen to me very carefully, okay? Here's a simple test that can indicate whether or not you are prone to legalism or not. If you have a legalistic mindset, okay, here, here it is. Here's the question. How does God feel about me at this moment? On September 15th, 2013, how does God feel about you? Just think about that for a minute. How does God feel about you at this very moment? If your answer is anything other than he is passionately, unconditionally in love with me, then you may be prone. You may be prone to thinking that more about your performance than you are about the nature of a God who loves you unconditionally. And you may, you may mindlessly step into areas of legalism in your life. In other words, you're thinking that the favor of God is somehow won for us through our performance. I love this. Martin Luther said this. The only thing a sinner contributes to justification is his sin. The only thing that we contribute to our being just as if we had never sinned is our sin. And I'll explain what justification is a little bit more in a minute. But he says the most damnable and pernicious heresy that has ever plagued the mind of men was the idea that somehow he could make himself good enough to deserve to live with an all-holy God. He said it's damnable. It is, it is pernicious to think that a man could be made good enough in his own strength to live in a relationship with a thrice holy God. Sinclair Ferguson said this, our greatest temptation is to smuggle character into our justification. That means we sneak it in. We smuggle it in. We sneak in character. We make character then a prerequisite for justification. Jesus dealt with this issue over and over again with self-righteous, religious people in his generation. And he, he spoke this parable to those who were confident in their own righteousness. This is what he said. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. 
One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. One translation says, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus to himself. He was his own God. He said, God, I thank you. I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tithe of all I get. But the tax collector collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man rather than the other went home just as if he had never sinned. Went home justified before God. Two men. This is amazing. The one man full of pride, full of himself, full of his own performance falls flat on his face because he doesn't realize how great is his need for mercy. He has the audacity, the arrogance to believe that he can get justice from God. No one wants justice. Believe me, no one wants justice. Jesus had the justice of God for us. But here's the other man who, who, who is humble enough and sincere enough to not even look in God's direction. And just ask for one thing, mercy, mercy. That man, Jesus says, went home just as if he had never sinned. What's what's the deal with religious people? There was a couple that drove their car into a gas station to fill up with gas. And the attendant was, and they used to do this all the time. And they still do this in different places, but hardly ever on Long Island. But, but, But the attendant began to wash the windshield for the man while the car is getting filled up. And the man said, when the, when the attendant finished, he said, he said, the windshield's still dirty, wash it again. And the attendant said, okay, sir, th- I, I will do that. And so he, he looked a little bit more carefully to see if there was any spots that he missed, and he washed it a second time. And by, by this time, the man yelled at him, and the driver said, it's still dirty, wash it again. I've never seen anybody like this before, you know, and he's just all bent out of shape, and the guy, he washes it again, and maybe he missed the bug spot or, you know, whatever, and he washes it again, and at this point, the man is absolutely fuming. I mean, there's steam coming out of his ears, and he says, I want to talk to the owner. You are the worst attendant I've ever, I've ever seen before, and at that point, his wife takes his glasses off, and she takes the tissue and she begins, to, she begins to clean his glasses. And she puts his glasses back on his head, and he looks now, observes a perfectly clean windshield, and he slumps down underneath the driver's seat. See, here's the thing, that religious, legalistic, critical, judgmental people look at life and look at others through their own dirty glasses because their hearts are dirty and they look at others through their own dirty glasses. He seems spiritual because he prays. He prayed unto himself thus. You know, it's kind of like the little boy who was uh, being punished and he couldn't eat with the rest of the family. He had to eat over in the corner of the room and the family was at the dinner table and they weren't paying much attention to him until he started to pray. And he prayed like this. He said, I thank thee, O God of heaven and earth, that thou hast prepared a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. His prayer only seems spiritual 
But really it revealed a heart of resentment and anger and bitterness. And that's exactly what Jesus was dealing with. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. We know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. I said last week there is a threefold cord of our justification. We're justified by grace, we're justified by his blood, and we're justified by faith. Paul is talking here about our justification through faith. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because, listen, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. And then this is the most powerful verse. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I mean, do you realize the significance of that statement? That if your justification could come through your performance, then Jesus died needlessly. He died in vain. Stronger words couldn't be written. C.J. Mahaney wrote this. The implications of legalism are staggering in their arrogance. Legalism claims that the death of Jesus on the cross was either unnecessary or insufficient. It is essentially saying to God, your plan didn't work, the cross wasn't enough, and I need to add my good works in order to be saved. What an insult to God. No wonder Paul is concerned about the church of Galatia and about the whole movement of the church in that first century for the enemies of the cross came to devour the gospel of Christ. Listen to what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would just learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observation of the law or by believing what you heard? Was it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish After having begun in the spirit, are you now trying to be made perfect by human effort or by your flesh? That phrase, bewitched, is a a very alarming and shocking reality for people to, to try to understand. Paul is saying, who has put you under a spell? Who's taken control of your thoughts? Who has stolen your identity? Listen, identity theft is not just an issue for this present hour, but identity theft has been from the very beginning. The enemy trying to rob us of the inheritance that we have as the children of God. Paul's questions, one after another, leaves no room for doubt. Someone Evil was trying by evil designs to corrupt them from the simplicity of the gospel, from the truth of the gospel. I've known people, you know, on the one extreme, there's the legalists who are judgmental and critical and and, and they're hard to take. But but on on the other hand, there are those who who have come under legalism and and their lives are tormented. You know, they, they live tortured lives because, because they're constantly thinking about things that they feel guilty about, things that they should never even, even consider as being 
something that would produce guilt in their life, but they're tormented by it. And have compassion for that. That's why it's so important to have a proper understanding about about grace and justification. Justification is, is what we are legally, is what we are instantly when we trust in Christ. It is what we are positionally. It's not my experience to be just as if I had never sinned. We said that last week. We are not yet been made perfect. And if, we, and if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. But our justification is instantaneous. It's a position legally before God. You will never be more justified than you are right now at this moment, not a year from now, not a thousand years from now, not 10,000 years from now. You will never be more justified than you are in Christ at the moment you were placed into Christ. You are as justified as the Apostle Paul, as justified as Peter, as justified as Martin Luther is or was. Sanctification, on the other hand, is the process of being conformed to the image of God's Son, and that, and that too by the grace of God, because everything that we have, we've received. And if we've received it, then where is the boasting? There's no room for bragging. I don't know about you, but ever since I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago about spider's webs, I've been walking into spider's webs around my property in the backyard, the front yard. I mean, I, it, it just drives me nuts, Right? But one thing about spider's webs, I don't know if you know this, but, 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 but the, the strongest structure, now proportionately, the strongest structure known to man is not a skyscraper. It's not, it's not an, an, expa- an, an expansion bridge. The strongest known structure known to man is the simple, ordinary, common spider's web. Scientists tell us it is a spider strand, that, that, that silk that it weaves, is 10 times stronger proportionately than steel is. It's amazing. It can stretch up to 20% of its original side, size without breaking. In fact, they say, and I've got to take them at their word, though it sounds hard to believe, but they say that if a spider's web was as thick simply as a pencil, it could stop a Boeing 747. That's amazing. That's hard to believe. But grace is like a spider's web. And I, for one, am so grateful that I was caught in God's web of grace. And as unbelievable as it sounds to be 10 times stronger than steel and to be able to stop a a Boeing 747, listen, let me tell you, the grace of God is powerful enough to save you and me sinners, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ as the gift of righteousness, the robe of righteousness that our Heavenly Father places around us, not, not earned or deserved, but given as a result of the gift of faith, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. In uh, his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey shares this story about something that took place in, in England and I figures it would take place in England. There was a conference. I would not want to go there, but it was a conference of comparative religions. 
and experts from all over the world came to discuss, and one of the things that they were discussing was the belief that Christianity was unique from all of the other religions, and they were, they, they, they were examining whether or not Christianity was, in fact, unique and different from all of the other religions. And so they talked about the incarnation. And, and, and so some said, well, there are other religions that, that, that kind of have, you know, uh, as their, 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 their philosophy or their teaching, that God somehow came in human form. And about the resurrection, that, that, that some even spoke about coming back from the dead, and maybe reincarnation. I, I don't know if, if that was the issue. But as they're having this discussion, C.S. Lewis walks in to the conference, and he says, what's the big you know, commotion about? And they tell him, your colleagues are debating the uniqueness of Christianity, and, and is there any unique? And, and he says, that's simple. He says, it's grace. Grace is unique to Christianity. And after a little bit of discussion on the subject, they had to conclude. And this is what, this is what Yancey says. He says, the notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist eightfold path to enlightenment, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant of, of laws and ceremony, the Muslim code of law, each of these offer a way of, of winning approval and acceptance from God, but only Christianity dares to make, to make this point known that God's love is unconditional. His love is unconditional. It's not based upon what we do, but based upon who God is. How very different, then, is grace. God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. How very unique is this thing called the gospel of Jesus Christ? Heard about a, a court in Somalia, an Islamic court, gave an order Bow your head or lose it. Unless you're willing as a Muslim to pray five times a day, you are in risk of being beheaded. That's what religion does. But this is what grace does. To free us so that we could be sons and daughters of the living God. Here's my bottom line this morning. Everything is at stake. Every, everything is at stake. That's why this message is so important. Our joy and peace and freedom are all in Christ alone. Now, in a few minutes, the worship team's gonna come back and they're gonna lead us in that song, In Christ Alone. Let me just share with you just two verses from that song. As he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry till final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand till he returns and calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. Our joy and peace and freedom are all in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for...
having been set free from rules and regulations as a means of winning your acceptance, that you have highly accepted us, favored us in the beloved. The same announcement that Gabriel made to Mary, saying, Mary, you are favored among women. So God pronounces upon every child of God that is birthed into the kingdom of God, we have been made accepted, favored in the beloved. So, Lord, I thank you for that. And I pray this morning that if there's anyone here that has never made that connection, that has never accepted you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior, that today they will understand the gospel in a way that they didn't understand before and that there will be that glorious birthing into the kingdom of God. While the band is preparing, let me just ask you this. If you're here this morning and you have never made this transaction, you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, Are you ready to do that now? Just open up your heart and say yes to Jesus. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. It's not magic words. It's the reaching out of your heart by accepting the free gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In Christ alone, let's all stand together.